Good morning, Grace. On my way up here, I whispered to Gerald, look at the answer to all those prayers standing right up there right now, leading this congregation in worship. Jesse, I'm just going to tell you, me and your dad prayed many times, crying. Where'd you go? For you. And so it's good to see answers to prayer, isn't it? You're an answer to prayer. Thanks for leading us today. We've really been singing about what our passage is all about this morning. So if you'd open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 23, we're going to be working through this particular passage. I've entitled the message, Living for What We Cannot See. And hopefully that will make sense to you as we work our way through this time. But there's something I ran across a few years back. You ever seen a grave marker with your name on it? It's just a little bit sobering. Until you keep reading and say, native of Tennessee, that ain't true. Uh, roll Tide, it's got to be Alabama, and it's the 1800s, that's not me. So, but it's sobering to think about that. But death, as much as it happens in our world, it's interesting how few times it actually touches our own lives. Uh, we can hear about it, but, you know, when is that really close to us? Well, many of you know that recently my dad passed away. And this is actually a picture of him right after he died. And you might be thinking, why would you take a picture of your dad right after he died? This is creepy. Uh, to me, it was a very precious time because my dad had lived an amazing life. He was a wonderful father. But just to think and be reminded that all of us have skin and bones like that right there. My skin and bones still move. I'm still speaking. You're still here, still breathing. Hopefully he'll still be breathing when the service is over. Uh, but right there, my dad, that's just skin and bones. He's not there. He's with the Lord Jesus Christ at that time. And there's so much hope that we have in the good news of the gospel that we've been thinking about. But death can be a horrible experience for so many people. But when we have Christ, what an amazing experience it can be. There's still a lot of grieving. I did a funeral service on Friday and the daughter is a believer. The mom who passed away is a believer. But there were many tears that were being shed in that time. There's a time of grief that's there. Not denying that. We even have grief in our passage this morning. But this morning in our passage, we do have a passage that's about death. And so when you think about all the things that could be included in the Bible, the purchase of a burial plot would not be in my top ten would not make my top 50, would not make my top 100. In fact, if I could erase the Bible, I would maybe erase this chapter out and have God put something in way more important, like some of the things that we battle with today. You know, is there a rapture? You know, tribulation? Do Christians go through all that? You know, whatever. You know, speaking in tongues for today or not? I mean, could, Lord, could you just put some of these things to rest? Now, some of us might say, well, the Bible already has, but it depends on what your viewpoint is on those things. Um, but we do have this passage today. And so through many years, I was a part of helping put together the, the preaching calendar here at Grace. And we, we never really moved back in the narrative in the Old Testament. Narrative in the Old Testament can be difficult to preach. And so during that time of waiting, I was always reading books on how to preach through narrative. And there's a lot of different viewpoints on that out there. And then when you finally land on a book like Genesis and say, we're going to preach through this, well, then how are you going to break it down? Um, this is a story. 
And when we just break it down into isolated chunks week after week, there can be something that's just a little odd about that. I mean, imagine you reading a, a bedtime story to a child. One of my favorite children's books is Alexander and His Horrible, Terrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Now, I love that book. But imagine I was going to set my children down and tonight we're going to read Alexander's Horrible, Terrible, Good, No Good, but you know, the title. And we're just going to read the first page and I give them an introduction. I read the page, we pray over it. I give them three points on that page, conclusion, we shut it for the night and they'll have to wait for next week to get to the second page in that particular book. I mean, that's not the way we normally like to read stories. And so we need to realize we're just pulling one slice out of a pie here this morning to a longer story that is here. And so I want us to think about this story and see what God wants us to learn from it. When, we, when I saw the preaching calendar and I saw which weeks I was going to be preaching, I began to thumb through the different passages and I came to Genesis 23 and I saw it and I thought, oh my goodness, what, what do you preach on death and the purchase of a burial plot? What, how's that going to edify the body of believers at grace? And I went from how can I get a sermon out of this to my goodness, I wish I had three weeks. Wish I had three weeks to work through this particular passage. For instance, one thing we're not going to talk about today is this is the end of Sarah's life. What does Sarah's life communicate to us, teach us? It's so amazing to go to 1 Peter, Hebrews, and think about what is really memorialized about her life. We don't have time for all that day, but God did lead me in a direction, and that's what we want to do with the time we have today. So let me read the passage, pray, introduction, three points, sermon, and we'll close at that point. The next week we'll pick up the story. <laughs> Chapter 23, verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before her, his dead and said to the Hittites, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah." Which, is, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for bear, a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who were at the gate of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field, accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What's that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area 
was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us this word. It's a precious message to us and we want these words to be alive and powerful for us today. We pray that you would take the words of this chapter and the things that you've led me to say and that you would use them in our lives. Lord, all over this room, people are seated who need you. And we all bring in something different. Some are bringing in some suffering and pain and others rejoicing. There's gladness of heart. There's grieving. Lord, there's struggles with sin. There's struggles with what to do about the future. There's struggles with relationships, marriages, siblings, maybe even people in this church sitting on opposite sides of the sanctuary. Lord, we all bring in something and we want to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, would you be the teacher you are and in your goodness, would you enlighten us today and help us, feed us, give us the things we need to hear today. So Lord, we give this time to you and our lives to you and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want to do today is for us to think about some emphasis in this passage. What are the emphases in this particular passage? It's a story, I mean, the title in my Bible is Sarah's Death and Burial. Is it really about Sarah's death and burial? Well, number one, we can see there, it is about death. I mean, think about how often death appears in this particular passage. In verse two, and Sarah died. Verse three, we see that um, Abraham rose up before his dead. In verse 4, that I may bury my dead. In verse 6, bury your dead. Verse 6, from burying your dead. Verse 8, that I should bury my dead. I mean, obviously death is a, is a focus in this particular passage. There's no doubt about that. We've got the death of Sarah. But actually, the main emphasis is more the, the purchasing of the burial plot. Sarah's death and burial actually receives very little attention. You can see in verses one and two, I mean, definitely she, she's, she lived these years, she died. Abraham mourns for her, weeps for her. And then in verse 19, we see that Abraham buries her. But really the passage has a, a different focus than really just death. And so we see emphasis number two, Abraham is a sojourner, he's a foreigner, who must actually purchase land so he can bury his dead. And so we see that particular emphasis as well. Look at verse four. I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. I'm not from here. I don't have land. My wife has died. Please give me a place where I can bury her. He's away from his family. He's away from his home. This is not his land. And we, we can break down again. I mean, how many times in this passage it seems to go overboard to tell you that these are the sons of Heth, that they are in Hebron, 
that they face Mamre, that they're in the land of Canaan, that these are the Hittites. I mean, over and over and over in this passage that is emphasized, all wrapped around those words of Abraham. I'm a stranger here. This is not my home. I don't belong here. And the conclusion makes it very clear that really the ultimate focus of this passage is the purchase of a burial plot. Look at verse 20. How does it all end? The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. End of story. Mission accomplished. And so really from verses 3 through 18 and verse 20, it's all about this purchasing of land. But a third emphasis, before we actually get into what I think we can learn from this passage, there's a third emphasis as well, and that is Abraham is an honored man. We've seen this in other places. Back in chapter 14, verse 14, a passage I preached a, a few, I guess even a couple of months ago. But this is when the kings of the north came down and they were just destroying these different cities and taking them over and running away with their spoil, including Lot. And so Abraham rises up with his 318 trained men. I mean, he was somebody is what I'm trying to get the point at. And he goes and he defeats these kings. He takes them down. We see that he's referred to as a prophet. We see that Melchizedek gives him a blessing and recognizes he's, a, he's of the God most high. We see that another king says, we know that God is with you in everything you do. And then we get to this passage and we see in verse 6, for instance, when they're reading down through this particular passage, hear us, my Lord. And we see this several times in the passage. My Lord, this, this term of respect and honor that is given to Abraham. Then also in verse 6, we see that he's referred to as a prince of God or some translations have a mighty prince. He's established himself. He's well-respected. They know his successes. They know his strengths. The, the passage here is even tying us back to chapter 14 with this mention of Mamre. Back in chapter 14, he lived by the oaks of Mamre. Now we're in this passage facing Mamre. These people are in that area. They're very well aware of what Abraham did back there. In fact, it could be what Abraham did actually protected them. My Lord... They give him that kind of respect. His life is evidencing blessing. They want to give him the burial plot. Take it for yourself. What is it? Now, some would say this is just very, very interesting. Ancient Near East bartering back and forth. And actually, the guy's ripping Abraham off. Um, but just put all that aside. Abraham is a place of honor in this particular um, land, this particular country. And he insists on buying it. Abraham doesn't take from other people. His God is providing for him. He believes that his God will provide for him. But there are some things that we can learn from this particular story. I, I want us to consider three lessons. And each one of these could, in their own right, take quite a bit of time to unpack. But think about this. God is in no hurry to accomplish his purposes. I, I think we could actually try to remind ourselves of this truth on a regular basis because we live in a microwave generation. You put it in the microwave, nuke it 30 seconds, it's hot. I mean, we, we love to have things quick, fast, easy. 
God's in no hurry to accomplish his purposes. And I want us to pull back and see the bigger picture of Abraham's life. When we're reading through the story, we don't oftentimes think about how much time has transpired. But from Genesis chapter 12 up until now, 62 years have gone by. We've seen markers along the way. Back in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham 75, Sarah 65. But here's what I want you to see. Two people of faith, they left their home country, they're following the Lord. Two people of faith with the promise of a land and the promise of a family and the promise that you're going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's the promise. 75 years, they, oh, they hold on to that promise and they go. Then we fast forward, Isaac is born. 25 years later, Abraham's now 100 Sarah is now 90. So now what do we have? We have three people of faith, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, born into their family. We have no land at this point in time. And we have little evidence of Genesis chapter 12 blessing. Now I say little because obviously Abraham's established himself. People are recognizing they are receiving blessings simply because he's there. His presence there is bringing them blessing. And then we go 37 years later again and, and Sarah dies. She's now 127 when she dies. Abraham's 137. And so we had moved up to three. Now we're back down to two. Two people of faith. No land except for the purchase of this burial plot. And again, very little evidence of all the families of the earth being blessed at this point in time. 62 years now, at the end, of verse, I mean, the end of chapter 22, we see, look in verse 20. Now, after these things, it was told to Abraham. In other words, I just want to point that out. News is coming from back home. Back in his homeland, news is getting to Abraham. So I can probably assume from that, Abraham's also sending news back to his homeland. What's he saying to them? Hey, Abraham, how's it working out? You left us all to follow some empty dream, some vision that you said God gave you of giving you a land, big family, that you're going to be a, a blessing to all the families of the earth. Abraham, how's it going? And then Abraham sits down to write the letter going back. Well, we're up to three now. There's three people of faith, still no land. Maybe a little bit of evidence of blessing. And now he has to sit down to write another letter. We're, we're, we're back to two. Sarah died. Just me and Isaac. There's no land except I bought a burial plot. I have a little bit of land now. 62 years of following the Lord. What, what's Abraham thinking as he goes through all of this? God is in no hurry to accomplish his purposes we do know what Abraham is thinking from a Hebrews 11 perspective. If you glance over at Hebrews chapter 11, we get a little bit of how you stay the course when God is in no hurry to accomplish his purposes. How do you do that? Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 8. By faith, 
Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was willing and able to embrace that there was something much bigger that was taking place. It's God's pace. But he'll gladly follow that pace. We see something about Sarah there too in verse 12. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. I'm gonna go. Once you go take this land, I'm gonna make you into a great family. And you're going to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. She believed that he who had promised was faithful. That's how you keep on moving forward. God is in no hurry to accomplish his purposes. Many of us in this room, maybe most of us, are not even 62 years old yet. Are we being patient with what God is doing? When Abraham is walking this path 62 years he's got to keep the bigger picture in mind God is at work Genesis 3 15 the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent and that genealogical line continues and Abraham is the one who's going to carry that on and Abraham has to look into the future believing that God is going to do this and into the future if he could look he could see Isaac and there's Isaac and beyond Isaac it's going to keep on moving until eventually Messiah is going to come that that seed will come, go to the cross, dead, buried, rose again, seated at the right hand of God. Sin has been conquered. Sin has been defeated. Satan has been defeated. That plan is moving forward. But Abraham has to look really far to see that. Really far to see that. And that one who was sent to the right hand of the Father is going to come back and establish his kingdom on this earth. And that's the big picture that he's got to keep in mind. But God's in no hurry to accomplish this. God's got his pace. My dad, many of you, as I was mentioning earlier, he passed away recently. I'm not working here. Can you advance that for me? There we go. My dad was a chaplain, served in Vietnam, and his desire was to be on the front line of battle. My dad did not want to be in the rear. He did not want to have a place where he could have a hot shower. He didn't want good food, nice bed to lay. He wanted to be on the front line with the GIs. When he passed away, we all knew that my dad had a journal. He never let us read it, but we all knew about it. And so I began looking through his things and I found the journal, slid it into my briefcase and I didn't tell anybody I found it. Later on, the family gathered. Hey, have you found the journal yet? Anybody seen the journal? And I'm just quiet with my briefcase right next to me, holding on to it tight. So later on, my brother and I went out fishing. I said, I found the journal. So we began to talk about what we're going to do with that. Do we honor my dad's wishes and not read it and burn it? Or do we rip it open and start reading through it? And we decided we would read it. So my older brother got it. Then it came on down to me. <laughs> if you want to know our reasoning, it was this. Vietnam took something out of my dad. And we wanted that back. And so we read through that journal, and I'm, I've been reading it since. And here was my dad's mission that he wrote in that journal. For God, to man, salvation 
before they die. And then comfort in the hell of war. On the front of his Jeep, he put the words, Soul Patrol. And that was my dad's mission. But let me read from his journal because there's a lot that happens while he's in Vietnam. 14 days after he, got, after he left the United States of America, August 13, 1967, his second Sunday there, his first worship service. This is what it says in his journal. Went to the chapel to study, John 3, 11 through 21. Found my outline was bad. Changed my whole sermon. I had three decisions for salvation. Praise God, that is why I'm here. You see, my dad had to keep his mission in mind. Going through all that stuff that he went through, he had to keep that mission in mind. 359 days after leaving the United States of America, July 25th, 1968, the day before he left Vietnam, this is what he wrote in his journal. Had a service today for B Company. About 15 present, one decision for Christ. And then in the right-hand margin, my dad had written 196 plus one equals 197. And you can trace it through the journal. My dad is tracking the GIs that came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That was his mission. But in order for that God to accomplish that mission, in my dad's experience there, there was a lot going on. But whether God is doing a lot as in my dad's case, or doing a little, as in Abraham's case, 62 years of waiting and waiting and waiting. God has his pace. And our responsibility is to line up with his pace. Our responsibility is to be like an Abraham who looks into a city whose foundation is from God, who looks to a God who has promised and believes that he is going to be faithful as Sarah did. Abraham kept going because God was working, maybe a little. My dad kept going because God was working, maybe a lot. What's it like for you in your life right now? Do you feel like God is slow moving? Do you feel like it's been a while since you sensed God moving through you? Have you quit sharing the gospel because it seems like no one listens? Do you just keep your mouth closed to people who need to hear the good news of Jesus because it seems like they're just not interested? Have you lost a sense of God's presence in your life? What's, what's gonna keep you going? What's gonna keep you going when you feel like there's just nothing happening around you and your life isn't having the kind of influence you want it to have. And it's not having the kind of meaning that you want it to have. You've got to do like Abraham. You've got to get back into a sense of the big picture of what God is doing. In the same way, that promise of the seed of the woman crushing the head of the seed of the serpent and that line being carried on to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, on into the nation of Israel until Jesus comes and he goes to the cross and he's dead, he's buried, he rises again. That's where we stand. We've got a whole lot more to look at than Abraham did. And we can still look forward because when he died and was buried and rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he said to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
as we continue to look forward till he comes again one day. That's the big picture. Abraham had to keep it in mind. We've got to keep it in mind. It may be slow going, but God is doing something. Either we're a part of it or we're not. But there's a second lesson I want us to see here. That second lesson is this. God's people may encounter setbacks or struggles before receiving his promises. Look at verses 1 and 2, chapter 23. That's a big setback. We're up to 3. And now Sarah dies. She's gone. And that's a major tension in this story. If you read this story carefully, and by the way, this is a story that's to be read. You are to feel things when you read this story. And when you're reading through the story of Abraham and you get to chapter 12 and you see all these promises that are made to him, that God is going to do something. He's going to give you a family. He's going to give you land through you, all the nations, all the families of the world are going to be blessed. When, we see, when you see that taking place, and you are watching this story progress, one of the major tensions in the story is the fact of, where is that? Is that going to happen? Where where, where is the promise of the nations being blessed? Where is the promise of the land? We're up to three. Now we're back down to two. There's going to be some setbacks along the way. And the natural response of Abraham could be just to go back to his family. We already mentioned chapter 22, verses 20 and following. He gets a report from home. Life is continuing on back home while you're in this land chasing your little pipe dream. Life is going on back here. Maybe Abraham should just go back to his homeland, bury his wife. Abraham doesn't. He never goes back. Even when Isaac needs a wife, He doesn't go back. He sends his servant back. You go back, get my son a wife, and you bring her back here. We're here for the long haul. No one's going back. No one ever does. There is no turning back for Abraham. And so Abraham's here for the long haul. So what does he do? He's going to purchase a piece of land. And that's that's what really the focus of this passage is here. He buys a piece of land with burial plot on it in the land that God had promised him. He believes that he's by faith. Sarah's going to be buried there. In two chapters, Abraham's going to be buried there, chapter 35. Isaac's going to be buried there, chapter 49. Jacob is going to be buried there. In fact, Joseph down in Egypt is going to insist that his bones be brought back there. That's the land. And so Abraham purchases it. It's been promised him by God, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 15, chapter 17. But he hasn't received it yet. And now his wife is dead. Do you continue on? Do you stay the course? Do you just give up? Do you turn back? No, you buy her a burial plot. And you continue to settle down. You live in your tents as a stranger in that land. You continue to continue to move forward towards God's promises. In fact, there's a larger story here. Chapter 23, Sarah dies. Chapter 25, Abraham dies. But that's not stopping God. Those are setbacks. But in chapter 24, Isaac gets married. And he's going to have a child. And the seed is going to continue on. Genesis 3.15 going to crush the head. It is going to continue on. Messiah will come. You can bank on it. There's going to be setbacks. They're going to be discouraging. It's going to make it hard. But God is going to move forward his program. He is going to accomplish his purposes. And so Abraham keeps his eyes on all of that. There's no turning back for him. He's locked in. He is who has promised is going to be faithful and he's going to stay because he believes God is at work. 
Let me read a few more entries from my dad's journal. This spans that same, one of the entries that I read earlier spans that same week. Um, back when my dad was first getting there, it was August 9th when my dad saw his first dead soldiers. They came back in body bags. And my dad helped unload them. First dead people he saw. And he wrote in his journal, God help us. War is hell. How sinful must the nature of man be? And then he goes on, August 12th, a few days later, I wonder if I can make it through the year of this kind of action. I worry some. I must trust God's will is good. I will make it if he wills. August 13, I had three decisions for Christ. Praise God, that's why I'm here. That's what I read earlier. August 16th, got word about a possible change for me to go forward. I wanted it at first, no question. Now I don't know, I'm scared. And he writes down Isaiah 41.10, which says this, fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's going to be setbacks. More people are going to die. My dad's going to be in the midst of it all. But every day, he wants to hold on to the fact of what God's calling is on his life for God, to man, salvation before they die, comfort in the hell of war. And so he continues on. And all of us have a course laid out for us as well, don't we? God's at work in this world. God wants to use all of us in the work that he's doing in this world. It doesn't take rocket science for us to know what our calling is. We are ambassadors of the gospel. We've been entrusted with the great commission. We are to take the gospel message to the world. It's just that simple. We cannot lose sight of that. And there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be discouragements. There's going to be relational struggles, physical struggles, spiritual struggles. We're going to want to throw in the towel. We're going to want to cash it all in. Maybe it's just not worth it. But we're going to have to stay the course in the same way that Abraham had to remember the seed of the woman is going to come, is going to crush, bomb, bomb. Jesus is here. We've got the gospel message. Go into all the world. And then he's going to come back. And our mission before he comes back is very clear. 29% of the world's population live in places where they have little or no access to the Bible. Little or no access to a church. Little or no access to another believer. That's over 2 billion people, almost 7,000 people groups that are considered unreached and they are in need of someone outside of their community to come in and tell them about Jesus. And that's our calling. That's our mission as a church. It's not just the holy few who we send out there. We all have to embrace that. Let's bring it closer to home, your home or your job needs to be stewarded for the gospel. That's keeping the big picture in mind. It's keeping it in proper focus in our lives. Your finances need to be stewarded for the gospel, keeping the big picture in mind. Oh, there's so many things we can do with our finances. Money can open up a lot of doors. Money can buy us a lot of things. And money can also get the gospel to the world. 
And we've got to be good stewards of what's entrusted to us. This church, it's beautiful building. The good preaching we receive, all the good equipping that happens here needs to be stewarded for the gospel. We have a vision statement, a mission statement to proclaim. Can we be a church that will rise up to the call of God in our life until everyone in La Mirada has heard the gospel? Can we have that kind of vision? And when we're done with La Mirada, we won't stop there. We'll go to Buena Park. We'll go to Norwalk. We'll go to Whittier. We'll go to La Habra. And we will continue to take that gospel until people need to hear. And we will continue to pull our resources together. And we will send people out. We will identify unreached peoples. And we will make sure we get someone in there to tell them about Jesus because it's the best news in the world. And they need to hear it. But there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be things that maybe could keep us from completing that. We, we can get so caught up in our own stuff. Marriages fall apart and takes all of our energy. Sin gets a hold of our heart, takes all of our energy. Work becomes all-consuming, takes all of our energy. Sports, athletics, travel teams becomes all-consuming in our lives and we lose sight of the bigger picture of what God wants to do through us. So we've got to stay focused. We've got to keep that in our minds. Grace Evangelical Free Church, let's keep the main thing the main thing in our lives. One more lesson real quickly. I think that kid's thing needs to get off of there first. I'll let you guys find my third lesson. Third lesson, God's people believe that the promises of God extend beyond this life. Verses three through 18. This passage, although it's about death, is about the purchase of a burial plot. Abraham's not going home. He's not going back to his homeland. Even though Sarah's died, he's gonna continue to plow forward. Back in his homeland, stuff is still going on back there. People are marrying, kids are being born. Maybe he should just take Sarah back there too. Maybe he should just cash it all in. He had a good run. He was faithful for a lot of years, 62 years, pat on the back, just go home. No, Abraham realizes something bigger is happening here. Aren't you glad he did? He realizes something bigger is here. He's committed to remaining in the land where God has called him, the land that God is going to give him because they believe he promised and he will be faithful to that promise. Abraham's staying. And so throughout this passage, it's this property, this property, this property that's the focus. And that's the way it all ends even. Verse 20, the field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property. He believes that there's something big here. He's committed to what God is doing. The only piece of land that he possesses of all that God has promised him is a burial plot. And the only descendant up to this point, Sarah's now dead, is Isaac. There was three, now there's two. But Abraham continues to move forward. He understands that God is at work. And once again, the big picture, the seed of the woman's gonna crush the head of the seed of the serpent. This goes throughout and we're a part of this thing. 
Abraham by faith continued to move it forward and we by faith need to continue to move in it forward as well. How was Abraham able to continue to do all of that? Let's take our cue again from Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, this time in verses 13 through 16. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, not coming from a homeland. They're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return, not Abraham. He knows where he's going, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham was seeking his homeland. He realized there was something way bigger than where he came from. There's something way bigger than where he is, a stranger living in tents for 62 years and not seeing much happen. And he stayed the course because he believed that the promises of God extend beyond this life, that we live for something way bigger than what we might experience. And so from a passage on the purchase of a burial plot, what do we walk away from with this? What, what, what do we do? How are we to respond to all of this? Listen, we've all got to stay the course. God is in no hurry to accomplish his purposes. He's got his pace and he's moving it forward ever slowly or ever fast. He's moving it forward. And we're going to encounter setbacks. There's going to be discouragements along the way. But we've got to stay on that course. And we've got to realize that we may never experience fully the promises of God. We may never see fully the impact that our life can have in this world. But we have to believe it's way bigger than this. And that God is moving it forward. And he's going to accomplish his purposes And we've got to realize that in the same way Abraham's way back here, 62 years and hardly anything happening, and we're way over here and we're waiting for Jesus to come back. We've got to keep our focus on that. He is coming back. And he wants to find us faithful. Grace Evangelical Free Church of La Mirada, can we keep the main thing the main thing? Can we not just have a mission that's written in paper and transcribed on the wall out there, but a mission that's written on our hearts and that we live it and that we keep this main thing the main thing? Let's close with a word of prayer. I don't know what God might be stirring in your heart, but don't don't leave this moment without letting him cement in your heart the things that he's teaching you. Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray for the work that you're doing in this room right now. I pray that you would cement it in people's hearts. Lord, I pray where there are still hearts in this room that are sleeping, that you would awaken. 
Lord, I pray that you would make us a body of believers who stay committed to the work that you're doing in this world. Lord, give us a vision that's way bigger, way bigger than what we see. Lord, we give you our lives right now. I pray all of us around the room right now could just give our lives to the Lord, our finances, our time, our relationships. Just give them to the Lord. Lord, take us. Take us, Lord, all of us. Maybe there's someone in this room who's holding back a portion of your life, a portion of your heart, your little thing that you want to hold on to. Give it to the Lord right now. Lord, take it, please. Lord, grab a hold of our hearts for your name's sake, for your glory. Lord, we give ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Continue in prayer. Jesse will lead us in a song.